Good morning. Good to see everybody. I thought this service might be a little lighter because eight o'clock was a little stronger this morning with the time change, but y'all are still representing. Uh, we had some people trying to find seats. I was going to tell them on my way in. I was like, there's always seats on this front row. <laughs> Just remember that. There's always seats on the front row. Uh, hey, I was not here with you last week. I was at Franklin campus, but Lloyd shared with you where we are in our follow campaign. And you know, y'all, we're, we're not going to keep talking about this every week, but I have to give you even one more update. So last week, Lloyd said we're at $12 million, which was amazing and is amazing. We're already at $13.2 million this morning, which is remarkable. So I did the math on that, right? Thank you. Go God. Praise God. <laughs> the, um, I'm not super strong with math, but I thought about we've gotten 1.2 million more than 12 million. That's 10% has come in just in like the last week. Isn't that so cool? We're getting to the place now where we're about to start saying, maybe we don't have to scale back on what, you know, the, the plans and thoughts are. Obviously, we're going to price everything out as we go. But, but I just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of this, we would love for you to be a part of this. And so you can get information about how to do that. It'll be on the screen here. We'll go ahead and put that slide up as well. That's the address you can go to fill out that commitment line. Again, we, we're not going to do this every week, but as we hit different milestones in this, we'll come and share that with you. And I've got to tell you all a really cool story that was part of this. You know, for me, this has been, um, just real personally, this has been an interesting journey of faith for me. Like, I, I, I didn't like think I can't wait to do a capital campaign at the church that I work at. I mean, that's just not what I was hoping and wanting to do. And it became a, a clear to us a couple of years back, really, that, that God was leading us in a way that at some point in time for us to be able to do these things that we feel like are important for us to continue to follow God's spirit here at Brentwood and in Franklin, we were going to need to come to the body in the, for a significant project like this. And, you know, the decision the elders made to say, we're not going to take on any debt, that just released something in me, honestly, because it just said, okay, well, God's going to just give whatever he gives and we'll build whatever we can with whatever he gives. That's been so freeing to me. On Commitment Sunday, which is the first day that you could give, I think Lloyd told y'all last week that the amount that came in was 6 million, which on one way of looking at it is amazing for one week of commitment, really is. But in another way of looking at it, we've been told by campaign people <laughs> that like 75, 80% will come in on your commitment Sunday. And, and then the rest kind of trickles in. So I did the math, right? Again, math, not my strong suit, but I'm like, okay, if 6 million represents 75, oh, okay. This isn't going to be what we thought and hoped for. And, and I'll be honest, my first thought was we failed. And more specifically, I failed because I was a big part of the leadership and communication of this. And y'all, I sat in that, I don't know, it was for a couple hours or so, and, and, and over in that day and then the days that followed, the, the Holy Spirit just started talking to me. And the first thing he said was, Rob, it is not about you. It is not about, and I know that y'all, but I needed that reminder. And then, and then as the weeks kind of went on, what the Spirit kept, I believe, telling me was, I'm gonna give the church only the dollars that they need to go about the purposes that I have for this church and every dollar it needs to go about the purposes that I have for this church. You see, it took me back to that place of faith. Okay, so then the capstone for me, all right, it's been such a cool journey for me. And, and I hope it has been for you too, honestly. 
The capstone for me came last Saturday night. Lloyd and I were, were waiting for a text from William Kaline, who's our, our director of finance and operations. He was going to text us. The, the plan was text us sometime in the evening around dinner time, the final number that we would then announce to you all last Sunday. And five o'clock came and went, six o'clock came and went, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine. At some point, Lloyd went to bed, okay? <laughs> the text came in at 10.35 p.m. And it was from William. And it said the total was 11.9 million. This is a totally true story. And I thought to myself, amazing. And I had no idea it was gonna be that high, first of all. And then my second thought was, we're just gonna say 12. Because you're so close. You're just going to say 12. I mean, who cares about the details, right? It's 12, right? So I, I texted William and Lloyd and the others on there. Of course, you know, Lloyd didn't want to respond to anything at this point. But I texted and I said, I said, that's amazing. Incredible. You know, glory to God. Let's announce 12. Okay. Sent the text. I started not feeling so good about that. Okay. <laughs> Again, the Spirit's speaking to me. He's like, Rob, come on. And I'm not making any of this up. Three minutes later, a text from William comes back. Actually, just checked my junk mail where there was literally one more pledge for $100,000. We officially made it to $12 million. (laughs) This is actually literally happened. And I wrote him back and I was like, who finds $100,000 in their junk email box? (laughs) Hey, go check your junk email box. But I'm, I'm telling you all, all this to just say that this is how good God has been to us. This is the kind of work he's been doing in me. What, what a good God we have, just to kind of remind us in these little small ways, right, that he's in charge of this whole thing. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be on this journey with you in it. Uh, open your Bibles now to John chapter 16. Last week, Lloyd said, Rob's going to talk about peace. Well, it turns out he and I sat down and and we we redivided the passages a little bit. So next week, Lloyd's going to talk about peace. This week, I'm going to talk about something different. We're going to finish the chapter next week, but I want to cover chapter 16, verses 25 through 30. And and I've been thinking this week as I've wrestled with this text, I've been thinking, you know, the disciples had a very interesting journey with Jesus over the three years that they knew him. And I'm not talking about the physical journey. I'm sure that was interesting as well. But think about the journey of of transformation that happened happened inside of them. When they started following Jesus, they had no idea who he was. That's 100% true. They, They might have expected, or maybe they hoped that he was the Messiah, but that wasn't even clear for a long time in the journey. They certainly had no clue that the Messiah that had been prophesied was going to be God himself, like the second person of the Trinity, you see. They didn't understand that. They had no idea, really, who they were following. In fact, when Jesus calmed the storm, um, which is a, an event that's recorded in several of the Gospels, uh, after that massive display of power, they, they looked around and they were terrified of him. And, and they said to themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so they go on this journey with Jesus. And really what's, what's happening is they're having to sort of trust little by little for him to reveal what they need to know in, in one day. And then the next day, reveal a little bit more what they need to know. And that's how they follow Jesus. Their whole experience was sort of like a, a gradual uh, um, uh, coming into the knowledge of who this man was and what it meant. Their, their journey of following Jesus was a little bit like a gradual peeling back the layers of understanding, almost like their eyes were being slowly 
opened over a three-year period of time. And our text this morning shows a significant moment in that arrival of, into truth that they had, this, this aha moment. In fact, they, they literally say in the text, aha. This is a moment of clarity for them. Now, for us, it's a little different. We start following Jesus already knowing who he is, already believing He's God in the flesh. And we understand the death and resurrection of Jesus and all these things that the disciples took a long time to piece together. But here's what we have in common with them. Our journey of following Jesus is also a long, gradual process of coming into the light. And what I mean by that is coming to know Jesus and who he is and what it means for us more and more and more. We call this process spiritual growth, but I think it's important to realize what's underneath most of our growth is a gradual awakening, a gradual seeing truth, a gradual perceiving and understanding more and more who Jesus is and who we are in him. It's a long process of waking up. It's a long process of coming to see. And so this morning, we get to see yet again. We get to see a little bit more. The Spirit's gonna open our eyes and, and reveal truth to us as we study God's word. And I'll go ahead and tell you this. There's a little phrase in our passage this morning that will really open your eyes. It'll transform you if, if you allow it to. Let's read the whole text and then I'll come back and we'll unpack it verse by verse. This is John 16, 25 through 30. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, which could also be translated, aha. Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is the living word of God for us today. Let's look at the first verse of the text, verse 25. Uh, there's just two little phrases in this, sent this first sentence even that we, we need to spend a little bit of time on. The first is the, the phrase figures of speech. You know, in our English grammar, if you think back to grammar class, this probably like means metaphors, similes, illustrations, this kind of thing. Uh, what's interesting is in, in English, when we use figures of speech, it's usually for an intention to make something more clear. It's like, let me explain that better. Let me use an illustration. Let me give you a metaphor. Let me give you a simile. That's actually not the idea that Jesus is intending here. That's, that's not what, what this Greek word is actually carrying. It, it's more the idea of it's something that's purposefully hidden deep down. It's something that, that's kind of um, puzzling or enigmatic. In, in other words, the meaning's not on the surface. You have to search for it. You, you have to dig down and you have to think about it. There's a translation of the Bible. I, I probably shouldn't call it a translation. There's a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version. Some of y'all may be familiar with this. It's actually a helpful tool. What the Amplified Version does is it, it, it takes many of the Greek words and rather than translating them into a single word in English, it uses three or four, sometimes more than that, words to convey the whole nuances of the Greek term. 
And so, you, you know, the, the regular Bible's like this thick. The Amplified Bible's like this thick, all right? But read it online, right? Okay, now the, here's what the Amplified version, one of the things it says about this word, figures of speech, is this phrase, dark sayings. I love that phrase, dark sayings. Some of you are like, dark sayings, you know? It's like, <laughs> now, it's not that kind of dark sayings. It's not the occult, you know, it's not evil. Dark sayings in, in, the, in the meaning is something hidden. And by the way, that comes from Psalm 78. The psalmist is like, I'm going to declare from, from you Proverbs from old. I'm going to speak dark sayings. And th this is something that, that's hard to see. It's deep down. It's mysterious. You know, in that culture, ancient Middle East, like, you know, the, the sage, so the, the seer would speak these dark sayings, these enigmatic, mysterious things. And this is what Jesus is saying. I've said these things to you in, in, in dark sayings and in, in figures of speech. Think about what's going on here. What do we know that the disciples don't yet really understand? The man speaking to them is the creator, God. Imagine if you could become an earthworm and you, you, you go into the place where the earthworms live. And, and you crawl around with the earthworms and you could communicate with the earthworms and you're like, I wanna, I wanna tell the earthworms about what's out there, like, like about the world and about cities and technology and like the internet. How would you communicate these things? It, it, would, it would certainly seem to the earthworms like dark sayings, mysterious, deep down things. And, and so Jesus is saying, this is how I, I've been communicating with you. Now, the second phrase is these things. What, what, what does he mean, these things? On the surface level, he's talking about everything. Like their whole experience with them has been this experience of gradually coming to sort of see and perceive these deep, dark mysteries as God in the flesh is explaining to them. But, but more particularly, the immediate context is what Jesus had just told them. This takes us back to Lloyd's message last week. Remember what, what Jesus had told them? I, I won't put all this on the screen, but let me just reread a couple of these verses from last week. Jesus had just told them, a little while you'll see me no longer, and again a little while and you'll see me. To you and me, that makes perfect sense in light of the cross and the death. To them, that made zero sense. And so in verse 20, he's like, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then verse 22, he said, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away, take your joy from you. Now, you know, I'm gonna put on the screen Lloyd's illustration from last week, which I thought was so helpful. If, if, if you weren't here, this might, make to might not make total sense for you. But, but Jesus is saying, in a little while, there's gonna be weeping, lament, sorrow, mourning, pain. And then in a different little while, there's gonna be joy and rejoicing and joy made full and gladness and complete. And what Lloyd did last week, I thought was so helpful. And he said, and it's the cross. It's the cross that makes the difference. It's the, it's the cross that, that, that actually, honestly, brings it all together. And, and I love what, what Lloyd said. He said, what is biblical joy? Biblical joy is both sorrow and joy together. And he said, this is the joy of Jesus. And he bears the scars of that joy. 
I was sitting with a guy at, at coffee uh, this week who was at the service and he was talking about Lloyd's message and he says, Lloyd's message was deep. And I wanted to say to him, because it's dark sayings. <laughs> I thought that would weird him out, so I didn't. But, but, but that's, that's sort of the idea. Now, now here's where it gets interesting. You think about this for, for me in a minute. Jesus sort of as, as God in the flesh lives at the intersection, right, of the already and the not yet. Or he, another way to say it is he lives at the intersection of the material world and the immaterial world of the sorrow and the fullness of joy that is to come. Now think about us. We call ourselves Christians, little Christs. We live there too. We have physical bodies, yes, for sure, just like all the other people around us. But God's word says the spirit of God indwells us if, if we believe in Jesus Christ. You see how we, we live like Jesus. We live at the intersection of the material and the immaterial world. This takes us back to verse 25. And look at what Jesus says. Look at this, you all. This is fascinating. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, dark sayings, but will tell you plainly about the Father. What hour is Jesus talking about? In the context of the passage, it has to be the hour when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes. Jesus says he will teach you all things. He will remind you what I have said. He will reveal to you things. This applies to us today. This, this is where I'm going with this. As those who have the Spirit of Christ dwelling us, illuminating God's word for us, as we read it and as we hear it, we are living in the hour that that Jesus is speaking to us no longer in these unfathomable mysteries. It, it doesn't mean that you still have to work and dig into his parables and these kinds of things, but the, the, the illumination of the spirit that indwells us teaches us truth. We're living in this day. This is why we can say, and we say this each week when we read our scripture, this is the living word of God for us today. The same spirit that authored the text now indwells us to re-speak the text, to teach us as we move through God's word. This is an incredible journey that we're on, is it not? Now, uh, more to say about that, but let's move on to these next two verses. Jesus says, in that day, again, still speaking of the day that, that when the spirit will come, you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf. Now, you know, at first that sounds a little bit, uh, man, what are you saying? You'll not ask the father on our behalf, but then look at verse 27. For the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is marvelous. Um, I'm, I'm gonna hold verse 27 for just a minute because I, I wanna talk briefly about what does it mean to ask in my name. Uh, th this idea of praying in the name of Jesus is something that's come up several times in John. We really need to understand what it means. Here are the passages that we've already studied in this series that have this phrase in it. Verse 13 of chapter 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then John 16, 24. This was the last verse of Lloyd's passage last week. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because of these texts, these passages that teach us to pray this way. But what does it mean? For most of us, let's be clear and honest, 
it's probably just kind of like a formula. Well, that's just how you end a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. To speak in someone's name or to act in someone's name means to act on their behalf. It, it means to represent them in a way. So imagine uh, you have a king or a royal official that, that sends a messenger or sends an emissary and says, I want you to go in my name and I want you to tell the people this. I want you to go in my name and I want you to act in this certain way. And so the messenger or the emissary shows up and he goes, I come in the name of the king. See, what that messenger is carrying is the, whole, the power and authority and the purpose of the king. So moving in Jesus' name, working in Jesus' name, asking in Jesus' name, it's not some magic formula that you say, okay, I really want this for Christmas, and so I'm just going to ask in Jesus' name, because the Bible says if I ask in Jesus' name, I'm going to get whatever I ask for. No, no, it's not that. Praying in Jesus' name means aligning yourself with the purposes and will of Jesus. It's aligning yourself with him in such a way that his will is your will. His purposes are your purposes. And when you pray that way, you will receive. You will receive. Doesn't that make perfect sense? The Father wants to accomplish work on this world through the Son. We are the body of Christ on this earth. And when we pray in alignment with the will and plan and authority of Jesus Christ, the Father answers those prayers. I, I really like the way N.T. Wright put this. this. This opened up my imagination to this a little bit. And I, I think this is helpful for us this morning, and then I'll move on. Those who go in Jesus' name, who get on with whatever work he gives them to do in his spirit and love, are given an extraordinary status and privilege. Anyone who welcomes them welcomes Jesus, and thereby also welcomes, quote, the one who sent him. You probably won't realize it at the time. You'll be too busy thinking of the people you're working for and with. But as you look back, you may be startled by the joy of realizing that as you walked into that house, that hospital, that place of pain or love or sorrow or hope, Jesus was walking in, wearing your skin, speaking in your tone of voice. Isn't that marvelous to be able to look back on ways that you didn't even realize it at the time, but you were representing Jesus in that place. I, I think about our, our team that just got for, back from Uganda. I think about the team that's in South Sudan. And I think about us in little, small, tiny, everyday kinds of ways. We're going in the name of Jesus. You see, that's what this is. Now, let's go back to this first because look, look what comes next. He goes, on that day, ask in my name, I do not say to you, I'll ask the Father in your behalf because the Father himself loves you. This is so important. What Jesus is saying with this little phrase is he's saying, listen, all the love that the father has for me as his only begotten son is now yours through me. Sometimes I think we get in our minds that like Jesus is the loving one and the father in heaven's the stern one, you know, and, and we take this very true doctrine of, of, of the, the atonement, which is 100% true, but we kind of twist that in our minds to think, well, the Father's out to get us, but Jesus is here to save us. Jesus doesn't want you to think that way. What does he say? The Father himself loves you. Listen to the way Martin Luther puts it. He, he was talking about, you know, this temptation to sort of see like, Jesus as the kind one and the father as the, as the mean one, so to speak. Martin Luther says, no, 
We are to believe and know that the Father is just as graciously disposed toward us as Christ, who mercifully and willingly died for us because this was the Father's will and command. Now you might be thinking, okay, okay, the, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed all that I came from God. Okay, isn't it true that people that, that don't believe in Jesus, the Father also loves them? Isn't it true that, that you know, all, aren't all people his created children? It's true that the whole world is God's creation. And it's true that the scripture says God loves the world and God loves the people of the world. But there is also, Jesus seems to be saying here, I think it's, it's pretty clear throughout scripture, there is a personal face-to-face -face relational love that we enter into when we put our trust in Jesus. A personal face-to-face -face relational love we enter into when we put our trust in Jesus. And it's connected to Christ. In Christ, the love the Father has for his only begotten Son is, is placed on us, you see. The same love the Father has for the Son is now the love the Father has for us. Isn't this amazing? We'll come back to this more at the end of the message. I want to move on to this next verse is really also so significant. I came from the Father, have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. This one little verse is a rather remarkable summary of the entire life and mission of Jesus. In this one verse, there are four key Christian doctrines about Christ. And, and, and I'll write these on the screen. Hopefully this will cooperate. Number one, I came from the Father. That is the doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus. Now, this is very important. Jesus did not come into being at Christmas. Jesus came from the Father. What does that mean? He existed before the incarnation. He existed before he became a human being. I like the way Tim Keller put it. He said, Jesus is the only person who chose to be born. Paul wrote that Jesus was not only with the Father at the beginning, but that all creation itself was made by him and through him and for him, Colossians chapter one. So the pre-existence of Jesus, that, that's, that's the first doctrine that, that's really taught here in this verse. The second is, of course, the incarnation. I have come into the world. Here is the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus put on flesh. He, he set aside all his divine privileges and, and put on a... A body. The, the infinite became finite. The, the, the creator of all the heavens became a little baby. A, a baby who had to be fed. A baby who was needy. A baby who had to be soothed. The third doctrine, he says, now I'm leaving the world. This, this is really about his death. I mean, you could actually go death and resurrection, but, but the, the death, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, that Jesus... Not only was he the only person who chose to be born, Jesus was also the only person who could have chosen never to die. And he didn't. He willingly died. He willingly left this earth. He, he willingly went down. He went under the earth. His physical body stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. Why does that matter? Because he became the once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
So he came from the Father. He came into the world. Now I'm leaving the world, his substitutionary death. And then the fourth one, of course, I'm going to the Father. This is, I think, both the resurrection and the ascension, but I'm just going to label it the, the ascension. I'm, I'm going to the Father. You see, there's a downward trajectory, and then there's an upward trajectory. We talked two weeks ago about where is Jesus right now? We can't see him right now. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing at the right hand of the Father? He is talking to the Father about us. Jesus and the Father are sharing their their mutual love for us. Jesus is interceding for us. He's going before us saying, all those sins are covered by me. I paid the price. This is the significance of the ascension of Jesus. So you have all this packed into this little verse, the preexistence, the incarnation, the death, the ascension. And now look, it's right after Jesus says this power-packed sentence that the disciples have their aha moment. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. There is a sense here that sort of the, the blindness of their eyes, the scales of their eyes kind of just fell off just, just with that point that Jesus just made. It's like, ah, ah, light bulb moment for them. From the disciples' perspective, after three years of, of I'm sure, incredible but also difficult journey of transformation, they, they've arrived. They have eyes to see. But what Jesus knows is there's still so much that they don't understand. Jesus knows by the end of the night, they're going to be more confused than ever. Jesus knows that when he says, I'm leaving the world, they don't really know yet what that means. They don't really expect to see him on a cross bleeding. They don't expect to see him put in a tomb you see. So, so Lloyd will take this next verses and finish out chapter 16, but Jesus is going to say to them, okay, you, you believe? Uh, okay, you know, hold your horses a little bit. <laughs> You're going to abandon me before the night is over. You see, there's still more for them to know. There's still more for them to see. But they did have this significant moment of clarity. And so let, let's just hold this thought, because our text ends here this morning, hold this image of the disciples in this moment of clarity, this moment of confidence, this aha moment, And let's consider what the Spirit is saying to us through this text. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that there's a phrase in this passage that will really open your eyes and transform you if you let it. And I'm sure that's probably true of any of the phrases, any of the verses, but I want to share with you what it has been for me and what I think it could be for you this morning, it's right here in verse 27. If you mark up your Bible, which, which I always encourage you to do, I, I wanna say, you know, put, put a big box around this, or you know, if you've got a different system, double underline this, or, or put two asterisks around it, or something. Here's why, this little phrase is in many ways the entire message of the life of Jesus. This idea is the very reason Jesus came from the Father and came into the world and went down into death and ascended back in into heaven so that by believing in him, you and I would experience this reality. 
that you would know it, that, that it would be true of you. The Father himself loves you. This is the reward Jesus traded his life for. That the love of the Father that he had known since the beginning would be graspable for you, would be gettable for you, that you would come into this as your reality. This is why he paid the price for your sins, so that the full love of the Father, the full delight of the Father could be unhindered, placed upon you. Jesus says the Father himself loves you. He delights in you as you are. Y'all, this is the great truth that will set you free. On one level, is this not the simplest thing you can know about God? But on a whole nother level, is this not the very thing you must continue to learn and believe more and more deeply if you want to grow, is this not the heart of it? Does this not peel back all the layers of lies of the enemies? God doesn't love you. God doesn't trust you. Look around. Open your eyes, he would say. How well is your life going? How much can you trust the Father? Jesus says the Father himself loves you. And by the way, it's, it's not true because it's just a nice, lovely thought about God or, or, or a nice way to think about God. Isn't that nice to think about a loving God? No, it's true because Jesus himself said it. And it's true because Jesus himself is the reason for it. He says, because you've loved me and you've believed that I came from God. What is that all about? He says, because you're in me. Because you're connected to me and the Father loves me in a completely unhindered way. Therefore, the Father now loves you in this way. In other words, the Father's love for you is inextricably wrapped up in his love for his own son. And this is such good news because the Father's love for his son is unbreakable. It's perfect. And if we're wrapped up in that, who can accuse us? As Paul says, who can separate us? from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. I have an illustration that I, I've used before. I, I don't think I've used it in here, but if you've been through our intensive discipleship process, you, you may have seen this illustration. I'm, I'm gonna close with this. Imagine if God the Father had a fridge, a refrigerator. Okay, and it's a little bit silly, but just it's an illustration. If God the Father had a fridge, whose picture would be on the fridge? Now, because of where I was just going, you might be thinking I'm going to say your picture would be on the fridge. But, but let's think theologically. Let's think biblically. If God the Father had a fridge, whose picture would really be on the fridge? Yes, Jesus' picture on the fridge. Let's put that image up of Jesus on the fridge. Now, you know, I didn't you know, get too fancy, but just imagine it's a fridge. There he is. When, when the father sees the son, what does he see? He sees perfect obedience and perfect righteousness and perfect humility and perfect strength and perfect love. But look closer, look closer. What does the father see when he looks at his son? If you've put your faith in Christ, you can no more lose the love and the affection of the father than an individual pixel could separate itself out from that image and, and jump down on the kitchen floor off of the fridge. 
The Father himself loves you. All the love and the affection he has for his son is now yours through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the teaching of the scripture. This is the gospel. This is the great truth that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. He knew they couldn't have eyes to see it yet, but there'd be a day that they could see it. And we're living in that day. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Does the spirit of Christ that indwells you through faith in Christ, is it resonating saying yes, yes, I want to invite you to the table this morning. I want to invite you to take out the elements of communion that you received when you came in. And, and if you're a follower, a believer in Jesus, we want to invite you to this table with us this morning. Maybe you missed it on your way in. I want to encourage you to just go, go outside, pick one up. I'll give you just a minute or two before we take the elements together. And here's what I'll say. You might be thinking, oh, I don't think I'm in a position to take the Lord's Supper. I, I don't think I'm, I'm clean enough to take the Lord's Supper. And, and, and listen, we, we don't want sin in our lives, to, to become a barrier for us in our relationship with the Father. But if you wait until you've not sinned to receive the love and grace of Christ, you'll never come. You'll never come. So even in this moment, just say, I just confess this sin to you and I believe. I believe that this is for me. I believe that I am in Christ and the love of the Father is mine. And that's what these elements point us to week in and week out. It's the broken body of Christ. Christ went all the way down to earn the love of the Father for you. He did it for you. If you believe in that, then eat the bread with me with gratitude. And the cup as well, the cup points us to the shed blood of Christ. He gave his literal true body. He bled his blood for us. And so we drink with gratitude in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you now to stand to your feet. We're not going to leave this place before we sing again. We have just heard God speak to us through his word. It's now time to respond. It's time to worship Jesus. It's time to proclaim his name in this place. So let's do that in the name of Christ together. Let's sing.